Welcome to Intimate Interactions, your personal relationship study guide. From the stories of how we're told we're supposed to love to how we've learned to process through difficult emotions, no intimate topic is too big. This season, we talk about how intimacy intersects with jealousy, addiction, body image, shame, and much more. Let's talk. Hello, intimates. In this episode, Piper, one of my former kink domestic, and sex partners is back to talk to everyone about jealousy. They share lessons of non-monogamy that can benefit everyone, including the monogamous. These emotional self-management and interpersonal skills are even useful outside of the traditional intimate relationship. It may be useful in your work environments, working with clients, talking to friends, neighbors, and also in many other arenas. We touch on processing strong feelings, our former intimate partnership, relationship anarchy, boundaries, requests for support, and lots more. Welcome to another session of Intimate Interactions. I'm here with Piper, a self-identifying queer femme, which is important to them. They use they-them pronouns. We lived together for three and a half, roughly, years, and have a delicious, sordid, many various descriptors history together. Delicious and sordid. Yes. Interesting, interesting. Yes, it is like a flavor of ice cream where you can't quite place what the flavor is. Still tastes good. Yeah, well, you've tried pickle ice cream, so... That's true. I have also tried avocado ice cream, which is delicious. Yeah, weird. Yeah, I, I understand why you are like, why? Hey, different strokes, different folks. Huh. Also, I really have to stop bumping microphones. It's a thing I do apparently frequently because I like, just don't quite get comfortable. And... Fidget. I think I'm just experiencing, like, anxiety around the recording quality because I'm so concerned with, like, recording quality. I can assure you it's excellent. Ah, well, thank you. You're welcome. Yay. So today we were going to be talking a little bit about processing complicated emotions in non-monogamy. And one of the things that Victor really doesn't want to say um, because of its context, but I'm going to say it, is today we're going to be talking about jealousy. Yep. Um, I think the reason why Victor doesn't want to come out there and straight up say, hey, we're talking about jealousy today, um, is because when you do that, it creates a very specific understanding of what we're talking about in the minds of most people, because it is a very, like, pop, like I think it's a popular topic mm -hmm. um, in monogamy as well as in non-monogamy, mm -hmm. and breaking it down is not necessarily the easiest thing, and breaking down people's preconceived notions is also not necessarily the easiest thing. Um, I think one of the reasons why I'm more willing to just, like, dive right in and call it what it is is because between the two of us, um, we were in a relationship, we were in a domestic relationship for three and a half years. Um, between the two of us, I have done so much work on myself in dismantling and understanding uh, my expectations and, and uh, beliefs around jealousy. And so I'm not as afraid of calling it jealousy because I've done that work. I've done that labor. And Victor has worked on other things. And in fairness, I was going to then introduce it as jealousy after I said it was under the umbrella of processing lots of strong feels in non-monogamy. True, but I just jumped right in there. I'm glad. So when you say jealousy, what do you mean by jealousy? Uh, so jealousy to me, originally when I when I first um, started into the foray of uh, non-monogamy, um, 
I would throw jealousy on just about anything. Um, if I was feeling bad or insecure in any capacity, it was like, oh, I'm feeling jealous. Um, and it took a lot of work and the help of some very good books. Um, and one of the mm-hmm. one of the concepts that really really stuck with me, which really helped me um, process and understand what jealousy was to me, was the analogy that jealousy is an umbrella term. Mm-hmm. And what we mean by that is jealousy can be used to describe when people say I'm feeling jealous. They often mean I'm feeling hurt. I'm feeling sad. I'm feeling insecure. I'm feeling angry. I'm feeling lonely. I'm feeling so many other things and a lot of the time jealousy gets used as the term to encompass multiple of these emotions happening at once and they're addressed differently and you do the work differently so it's not always useful to address to call all of them and label all of them jealousy in my opinion yeah i think i think it's actually distancing language Mm -hmm. um and what i mean by that uh is that we say i'm jealous when you don't actually want to dig into what that feeling means, it's so much easier to throw up the I'm jealous barrier between you and your partner than to dig into really dig squicky into, feelings. I'm feeling hurt or I feel insecure. Um, saying I feel jealous is almost like a, nope, I don't want to talk about this. And in, in some cultures, it's almost glorified as a sign of love. It, yeah. And it's a lot easier than tackling into I'm feeling inadequate because the fear, in my opinion, is if if I'm inadequate and my partner's seeing someone else and I'm afraid or I have this fear of loss, if that happens to be the thing you're processing, admitting to feeling inadequate only exacerbates that, in my opinion. That's so interesting because that's a totally different framework from how I understand it. And this is going to be... And it's cool that we're going to have totally different tactics. I think that's valuable. I I think when when Victor proposed this subject, uh, (laughs) I knew we'd be be coming at it from two totally different Mm -hmm. angles. Um, And just for some context for the people listening, uh, Victor and I... um, never really got onto the same foot as to uh, what jealousy was and how we both individually process it. I Mm -hmm. think what ended up happening is we respectfully understood the difference of opinions that we had and the different experiences that we both had. Um, One of us faster than the other. (laughs) And uh, um, basically acknowledged that I can't ever really understand where Victor's coming from because his experiences have been completely and utterly different from mine. Totally different lived experience. And vice versa. And so, just a a kind of side note, um, we are going to come at this from very different life experiences. And so, I guess I'm quite often going to say I have no idea what that's like, but I hear you. Yes, or or that has not been my experience. Yes. Also also quite common, Mm -hmm. I think, will be a recurring theme. Yeah. In fact, now that we're talking about definitions of jealousy, I'd be remiss not to bring up Tristan Tarmino's. Um, I remember it as Epi. She divides the umbrella of jealousy into envy, possessiveness, insecurity, and exclusion. Yeah, uh, I remember reading that. It's just one way of dissecting it. There's yeah. a lot of different ways of framing it. Yeah. Um, I think in any context that you go about it, dissecting jealousy into... Um, more bite-sized pieces a little bit more bite-sized pieces but even giving I think like Tristan Taramino's example for for example um, it, it discusses more where it comes from not what the underlying emotions are mm. um, for me uh, 
I have a lot more experience in using nonviolent communication, mm -hmm. talking about needs and wants and requests. And so for a very long time to understand my jealousy, I used the underlying emotions that were there rather than identifying the source of why they were there. Um, because in how I learned to process, it was... I feel this way because this need is not being met, mm -hmm. um, which then enabled me to either ask for what I needed or to do something for myself that helped get that need met. And, and I 100% agree. I love nonviolent communication, also called compassionate communication. Yeah. I, I like using the EPI breakdown because it helps me identify the underlying need. Yeah, and, and I mean, I, again, uh, this is another point where Victor and I vary. Um, <laughs> we come at things from very different uh, philosophical and also like our, our thinking is just different yeah um which made for some very interesting speed bumps in our relationship but also i think it makes us so valuable together when we tackle problems because we have such different problem solving skills yeah i would agree with that mostly i was waiting i was waiting i was like i feel like there's gonna be there's gonna be a qualifier somewhere in here <laughs> great do you have anything more to say about definitions on jealousy or do you want to just move on to another fucking opportunity for growth oh god okay no let's just a fog a fog another fucking opportunity for growth um it's interesting that this is like the first thing that Victor put down as one of the touch points that we wanted to discuss <laughs> for jealousy. Um, because I know in the end, one of, one of the things that really helped me tackle my jealousy, um, which is not so much to tackle my jealousy as to tackle how to communicate when I'm feeling hurt or mm. identify my insecurities and help move through them. Um, needs, just coming back to needs. Yeah, coming back to needs. I, I think a lot of what really like clinched it for me at the end was understanding that no matter how shitty these emotions are, everything was another fucking opportunity for growth. Uh, and that's something that's very core and philosophical to who I am as a person. Um, I'm a growth-minded individual. I like almost obnoxiously finding the growth opportunity in everything. So even if it's a really negative or really shitty situation, I find the opportunity to learn from it and move on from it and so by reframing how I thought about a lot of negative emotions um, when I was feeling insecure or when I was feeling hurt or wasn't when I wasn't getting needs met I reframed it to think that this was just another fucking opportunity for growth um, and it, it kind of helped because for me jealousy is recurring. It, you're not just going. Well, <laughs> you're not just going to snap your fingers and make it go away. That being said, Victor has literally done that. It's very frustrating to watch someone who processes that way hey, as I someone who I doesn't. Didn't just snap my fingers. There was definitely. I just had really good access to the assumptions and frameworks that I was working with emotionally, and I was, I was extremely fortunate. And it was something that happened like once, maybe twice, where I like looked at it, went, oh, I can see I'm hurting, and I can see where my needs are. Oh, and I can see the assumptions that I'm making that have got me there. And I was able to soothe my emotions into feeling heard, accept them, change my assumptions, and move forward. And I was just able to invest a lot of emotional energy in that moment to do all those things in a short period of time. In and under an hour. Yes, in under an hour. It and looks like magic. It's not. It takes so much work and time and emotional energy yeah. and effort and knowing yourself and practice. 
And there's often a history behind that. Yeah. Not just of work, but of missing those opportunities. And if there's one thing I'm good at doing, um, no, but I I seriously did. I had had a lot of experience with dealing with jealousy that hadn't been resolved. Yeah. And in that moment, it just all kind of coalesced into, oh, I understand this now. It's like the light bulb went on. Yeah. So the light bulb started going on and went on in a period of an hour. But the work behind that that led to that that moment of coalescence or just of working that led to that success. Like that win was a lot of fails in the making. Yeah. Um, But again, it speaks to how different we are because never in my life, to my knowledge, have I been able to take all of the background information and just synthesize it so wonderfully in under an hour. And Thank honestly, you. like, I'm a little bitter because <laughs> <laughs> I, it's something that I wish I could do, but also because we're so different. Yeah. Um, we've had a lot of conflicts in, in the past on, on processing jealousy and learning how to process jealousy, and we process it very differently. And so I look at, at Victor and I, I see what looks like a freaking miracle um, Thank you. And I know that it's not because I know that it takes work. And in some ways, I'm like, oh, fuck you. you <laughs> damn you that you can do that because I feel like it takes me so much work. But at the same time, it's like, I know that it's just different. I'm I'm a sprint and you're the marathon. Yeah. It, it may You may take more time to process, but somehow you do this growth that I look at. And to me, it looks exhausting. I, I don't understand how you do the growth that you do sometimes. Practice. And consistency. And consistency. And that's something you're really good at, yeah. I think, in Again, terms of emotional energy. So we're just really different just in the different. way we function. And also, one of the things that's kind of cool about uh, talking about jealousy in this context is that there is no one tried and true method of being like, learn how to conquer your jealousy in 10 easy steps. Like, it doesn't, <laughs> it doesn't work that way. And even though we're talking about dismantling it in very similar fashions, mm-hmm. we both process it entirely differently. And both are completely valid. Um, and it, it may be useful for you to click around on the internet and look at other people's experience. And it's just as useful to be like, oh, this is trash. This doesn't work for me. Yeah. Um, as it is to find one where you're like, oh, my goodness, this person thinks like I do. I need to read their 46 steps. Yeah, exactly. Um, I think one of the really crucial things, though, um, is to understand and to accept and to acknowledge that everyone processes it differently. Um, I think it's extremely valuable to see other people working on things in whatever capacity works for them Mm. and help them grow and learn however that might be most effective for them it comes back to authenticity yeah and and being true to yourself vulnerability and vulnerability self-honesty oh so much (laughs) self-honesty self-awareness and self-awareness also another fucking opportunity for growth totally and we can all stand to be a little more self-aware and i've talked to counselors who have said like flat out that self-awareness is the hardest thing for them yeah that they are like you can have all the training in the world yeah and you can have all the time to think about your stuff and ultimately you can get screwed because of self-awareness you can just think you're and this, this counselor was like, I see myself as a very self-aware person. And I still have moments where someone will recognize something or a partner will say something. And I'll be like, oh, that was entirely not on my radar. Thank you for that. And yeah. then go scream into a pillow for, <laughs> for about 30 seconds and be fine. Oh, I'm not that person. But I respect that. <laughs> yeah, see? Um, it's so interesting because jealousy often becomes this green-eyed monster literally it becomes this entity that i think a lot of people feel like is bigger than them is 
is too much, is uncontrollable, is vast and like not themselves it feels almost external to oneself alien almost yeah it, it also can hijack your fight and flight response oh jeez like intensely to the point where you can't think straight yeah it can um and and that's okay just for all of you people out there trust me I was one of I, I am one of you I still experience um irrational triggers that cause fight flight or flee or freeze instincts which is often actually the latter happens for me and i think fawn should get tacked on because in this context as well fawning is a really common one yeah where someone's trying to cope with jealousy and they're like maybe i can down negotiate this or control this situation so it's less damaging yeah um and so it's like i know that jealousy looks like that really big thing and it is it can be it totally it totally utterly can be but I think one of the things that was really empowering for me was learning and listening to all of the little steps that kind of came before it and breaking it down piece by piece. I I feel like it's this huge beast, but it's actually made up of smaller components that make it easier to understand because you're not trying to tackle jealousy. It's you're trying to understand it mm-hmm. in my mind. And once you like once I understood it anyway, it made your made it easier to communicate and feel validated and get those needs met. Mm-hmm. <sighs> Although it is a lot of work and it is very, very exhausting. Or it can be. It can be, yeah, yeah. for sure. And and I think just acknowledging when we're struggling as I am struggling right now, and that is okay. Like, giving yourself permission to be where you are can just be so crucial to healing, in my opinion. And giving your partner permission to be wherever they are yes. can also be extremely helpful. You cannot force a flower to blossom. No. Gotta but give it, it time. But it's, but it's also, like, as, like, I imagine, and I, I have less experience with this, um, but if I had a partner that were feeling jealous... Um, we're, we're experiencing the insecurity and the hurt and the anger and all of that mm-hmm. and the loneliness. Um, not invalidating their experience is so entirely crucial um, because they're already in my in my opinion and in my experience they're already they're already struggling enough. It's already hard enough um, to try and understand yourself, and so just giving them space to hold those emotions and feel those emotions without shaming them, without trying to change how they process them. Mm -hmm. And, like, you can help, sure, if you have a relationship dynamic that already works in that context. If If they ask for what they need and you can give it to them, then by all means, absolutely help them out. Um, But sometimes it's just about holding space. Yeah, and there are a lot of different ways to support someone. Ultimately, it comes down to asking that question, checking in with them. What do you need right now? How can I be supportive? And if they're like, go away, then you can be supportive by going away. Legit. And sometimes, like, I know for me, especially in the beginning, jealousy was so big that I didn't understand it, and I was completely overtaken by it. And so someone might ask me, like, hey, what do you need? And the answer was, I don't know. Right. And that's okay, too, Mm -hmm. because sometimes sitting with it in the I don't know stage, that's okay, too. Um, And as a partner, if your partner does not know what they need, it may be important to get a confidant that is not your partner, 
because you don't want to be voicing these or anything else that may hamstring or prevent them from dealing with the things that are helpful for them to move forward in their life because they're now dealing with all the issues that you're having around the situation. Like it comes to a place where I feel like it can be very blamey in an unhealthy way. Whereas if you have a confidant, you can get a lot of that emotional energy out and then go to your partner and just be like, hey, just so you know, I'm also struggling with this in these ways and touch base in a hopefully healthier way, in my opinion. So I can see that and I can acknowledge that as like one method of doing it. Sure. Um, Yeah, there's a lot of different ways. Because... Oh, I totally lost my train of thought. Give me 10 seconds. That's okay. Take your time. Right. Getting emotions out and talking to another person. Um, this is hard because we just process things so differently. It's okay. I mean, you can just say what you, what you want to say. I can take it. Do you want me to talk about... No, I want you to go back because now I've totally lost my train of thought. Okay. We were talking about processing with partners, and I was talking about how when you have a partner who's feeling jealous, it might be useful to get a confidant just so that you're not unloading all of your baggage with your partner. And sometimes that might be healthy if you have that dynamic with your partner where that's okay. Other times your partner may need all of their spoons and resources for just managing their own jealousy and processing through things, in which case it's useful to get a confidant where you can be like, I'm really frustrated right now and I'm having all these negative feels and I just need someone to listen to me rant. Like all of those feelings do not have to be processed in your dyad. You don't have to process that with your partner who's dealing with jealousy. And you certainly don't need to process that with your other partners. Yeah, I mean, I think there's like a monogamous framework that says whatever is inside your relationship should stay inside your relationship. And so, like, you should work on things within your relationship. Um, and it's it's actually interesting because I feel like this is unfortunately gendered uh, sure. in the monogamous world where, quote unquote, girlfriends will go and talk about their relationships and hash through a lot of those, like, jealousy and security feelings. and With friends. With friends and girlfriends over drinks and go like, oh, my God. My boyfriend, husband, partner is so frustrating. I'm so jealous. He's seeing this girl at work who wears really cute shorts that are so small, et cetera, et cetera. So it's like, that's like contextually, that's a lot of what I think monogamous program. I mean, there's so many movies about it. So many movies. A million times we see toxic narratives in rom-coms. Exactly. And so it's like that, like female body people are trained to talk to their friends about their relationship issues, whereas male-bodied people are specifically advised not to. And to only only get that emotional labor and that emotional fix out From of their, their partner. Role. Yes, and their intimate partners who are already doing a lot of emotional labor do not need that extra workload, was all I was trying to say. Yeah, and so, like, it is totally and 100% valid to step outside of your relationship to have those emotional conversations and to work through some of those things. Um, however, I think it's also really important that that become a negotiated facet of your mm-hmm. relationship. Mm-hmm. Um, as a relationship anarchist, I talk about like all of the contexts in which I want to have relationships. And so when I am discussing with my partner, rather than assuming that I have to go outside of my relationship, I will ask, do you want me to talk to you about jealousy things? How much do you want me to talk about jealousy things? If I'm having like a breakdown of epic proportions where I cannot control 
my emotions that I am just, I have no spoons to self-regulate. Do you want to be there or should I be alone? And then I also have my own preferences on that. Um, <laughs> one of the things that I think is crucially important when it does come to jealousy is that like for me, especially in the beginning, I didn't, I had no idea what my emotions meant. I had no idea how big they were. They, they felt huge. I couldn't control myself sometimes. And I know that that was really hard for Victor to understand for a while because he would be like, you're doing one thing and you're saying another. Right. And I was like, I know it's because I am experiencing all of these really big emotions, but logically I know that ripping off the Band-Aid is just easier for me. And so I, oh, ooh, heavy weight. I remember one particular instance between us where I was feeling jealous, a.k.a. in that particular instance, I was feeling really insecure. Um, I was feeling like I wasn't good enough, um, like I wasn't providing enough for my partner. Um, and my Victor was going to go off and see another one of his partners and I was like, I literally felt like a tiny tornado of negative feels. I was, I was expressing aggression and mm-hmm. like so much negative vitriol and emotions. And through it all, I was like, just fucking go. Get out of the house. Yeah. Just go. I need you to stay here, but just go. And the mixed emotions were so confusing because... Oh, I had no idea what to do. Because for me, in that moment, I was feeling all of these things which were so huge and so much bigger than me, and I was a mess, but there was a tiny part of my logical brain that was just like, I will be fine once he's gone. And so... Right. That's okay. And in in that learning process, for me... That was that was honestly through pure trial and error. Um, mm-hmm. Victor had left one time without we and in a, in a previous fashion. Victor had just like gotten up and left because we were in the middle of essentially a fight. Well, I didn't understand what jealousy was, and I wasn't communicating it in a way that was healthy or sustainable. Mm-hmm. And Victor had just left. And it turns out that after Victor left, <laughs> I felt so much better because I was like, oh, okay, right. Victor's gone. I can do things. For, for me now. I don't feel nearly as bad as when Victor was right in front of me. Right. Um, but that was taking a really shitty and negative situation and learning something extremely valuable from it. Totally. Um, but at the same time, realizing that in that moment, my emotions were so much bigger and I had nothing that I could do except let the maelstrom happen. Right. And so getting Victor out of the way because he wasn't equipped to deal with that was the most effective thing to do. Yeah. And again, it comes back to knowing, like, having, being responsible for our own needs, taking that personal accountability tack and asking the question, I'm making a request for emotional labor for my partner. Does my partner have the bandwidth to take this on right now? That's my personal feeling. But again, that's always been my privileged um, tack on emotional labor is just request from your partner. Yeah. Actually, that's true. That's actually not something that I had. It's gendered, right? It like, is emotional so labor gendered, is so gendered. Yeah. And it's, it's easier for me as a man or as a person who had a boyhood, as what I should say. Yeah. Because I identify more as genderqueer. It's easier for me as a mask presenting person with a boyhood to just say, 
you don't have to do that emotional labor. Yeah. It is not as easy when you've had a girlhood instructing you, you have to do that emotional labor, and suddenly you go, oh, how do I, how do I feel like I don't have to do this emotional labor? Yeah. And, and again, this isn't me speaking from an authentic place. This is how I understand it That's as a gender funny, issue. It's funny, because actually, like you mentioning that, it, it automatically makes me think of, like, uh, I've been called crazy for the volume of my Ooh. emotions. Um, I've had people tell me that my emotions are inappropriate. I've had people tell me that they're too big, that they don't make sense, that they're disproportionate for the situation. The situation. And honestly, uh, jealousy was definitely one of those things that people have come up to me and been like, I don't understand. You, this is way too big. Like, And I'm pretty sure I was one of those people, certainly at times, saying at least some of that, if not all of that. Yeah. And, and it's like, it's okay that that happened um, because it's the context in which we both were raised and socialized. Um, and we've grown from that. And we have. But it's it's like... Jealousy was one of those things that I had to learn that my emotions are not too big. Yeah. That it's okay to feel all of what you're feeling. That mm. the insecurity and the hurt and the fear... That they are... A lot of them are socialized, but they are valid every step of the way. And so a lot of people go, ooh, jealousy. I don't want to feel jealous. Um, but rather than step away from the jealousy, for me, I think it's really important that we actually wade into it, accept it, acknowledge it. It's your brain telling you that you're feeling things. And no, they may not be logical, but it's your brain telling you, hey, there's something here that we need to work on. Totally. Something's not lining up between my my expectations or assumptions or the things that I think lead to other things. Yeah. And like, I'm, I'm, I'm a very anxiety driven person. Um, I suffer from generalized anxiety disorder and panic disorders, which I've been working on very hard. Um, but when you pair those into jealousy, yeah. it's like watching, I, I, the number of times I've had panic attacks because Victor was going to leave on a date, for example, was, yeah, that's... Ridiculous. Um, but I didn't know that that's what it was at the time. Right. And I set the expectation early of, like, I was not monogamous. This was the kind of lifestyle I wanted to have. Yeah. And I made it very much like sine qua non. I will not have a relationship unless it is a non-monogamous relationship. Yeah. And that sets up a really interesting power dynamic when you start introducing mental health stuff, especially yeah. when there isn't maybe the education or the experience to properly identify that. Yeah. So... Yeah, we definitely have, like, history together. Well, it's actually really interesting because I I think now that we're not living together and we <laughs> took some time apart yeah. and distanced from one another emotionally a bit and kind of got the opportunity to look back in on the relationship externally. Yeah. Um, we've both seen a lot of each other in very different ways, as I mean, as I'm sure you would. Um, but understanding, like me looking back on my mental health and on my processing of insecurity and learning how to face my emotions in that regard mm -hmm. um, and learning how Victor has started like interfacing with people who have very similar problems. Or just intense emotions. I wouldn't even or, call them problems. Or, just well, some, some mental possibly health. Possibly some mental health concerns. concerns. Sure, sure. Um, but Victor deals with it totally differently and I deal with it totally differently because we both kind of took it as a learning opportunity. And I think that is one of the key takeaways that I would offer to people listening is when you're faced with these really big feelings or huge challenges, just remember that you're not doing this alone. And if you take even the worst situations as opportunities for growth, they won't be a reality forever. 
that's that's my takeaway. Yeah, You're I mean, welcome that's to disagree. nuanced and super optimistic, and it's not acknowledging the shit tons of labor. Sure, um, sure. It's basically Victor's making it sound like a. In in my mind, I'm like, oh, that sounds so happy, and there's butterflies flapping by, and look, is that a rainbow and a unicorn? Um, <sighs> so it sounds idealized. And I'm, it sounds impossible. I'm just trying to offer a not hopeless vision of the future. And this is, again, this uh, is very much where we differ. Um, <laughs> you're like, no, there is no hope. Um, it's not that there is no hope. There is absolutely hope. But it's not just enough to hope. Oh, it's okay. not enough to say, like, I'm going to get there. Right. Eventually, it will all be fine. No, if you do nothing, My, it won't be fine. Well, I was trying to say, if you put in the work. Um, and honestly, you might have to work your ass off. And that's okay. Yeah. Your partner might have to work their ass off, and that's okay. It's okay that it's challenging and difficult to work through these things because, again, we've been socialized. Yeah. That these things, that jealousy can be a good thing or that um, we shouldn't communicate our emotions because... Insecurity makes you a less desirable partner somehow. Yeah, exactly. And so it's like all of these roadblocks in your way are going to make it so much harder but that doesn't mean you shouldn't try that doesn't mean you shouldn't work on it it doesn't mean that it's not tackleable i never will never ever say i have beaten jealousy that i'm not jealous anymore that i've accomplished a sense of self-awareness that i am this massive jealousy guru i will never say that because yeah. it is always a work in progress and more than that i still experience jealousy i just have tools and techniques and steps in place where i can go okay whoa 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 slow down right where am i touch base strategies strategies but also just the ability to acknowledge and see myself for exactly where I am. Yeah. And even that acceptance is a skill. Absolutely. And it, it just takes practice. Shit tons of practice. Hence the another fucking opportunity for growth. And different practice for different people. Because yeah. some people got that practice in childhood because it was modeled really well for them. And other people, not so much. I mean, I'm kind of table flipping as I say that, thinking about my childhood at the same time. <laughs> Right. And all the work you're doing isn't just for non-monogamy. No, not at all. I think I think that's one of the common misconceptions about non-monogamy versus monogamy in terms of jealousy is that in a monogamous relationship, it's okay because you are only going to be with one person and it's just the status quo. But in non-monogamy, you have to work through all that because obviously like your partner's going to be going off and having sex with someone else. And I'm like, okay, slow down. Hold your horses. Mm. Um, I don't personally believe that jealousy is productive mm -hmm. unless you have a very specific relationship where you've pre-negotiated that you can use it as sure. a tool or fuel or a component of your relationship. If jealousy is an active choice have at her. But what a choice and what a complicated dynamic that would be to I even negotiate. I mean, honestly, now that we're sitting up here kind of talking about it, um, I would... I, I was acknowledging that Victor has a very fascinating sticker in, in his room that yep. says, I choose if I'm bruised. Mm -hmm. And I think that... In, in Just for context, that's comparing kink to abuse, mm -hmm. saying it's okay if I'm bruised if it's what I choose. 
I hear where you're going with consensual jealousy. And so I think it is valuable to say and to have an negotiated relationship, I acknowledge this jealousy and I'm going to use it with the consent of my partner to say, I'm jealous. Let's go have angry, hateful jealousy sex, for example. Sure. I, I, wow. Right? That is totally a tool that you can use so long it is, in my mind, so long as it doesn't control you. Yeah. So long as you can acknowledge where it comes from and, like, grab it by the horns and don't let it, like, bowl you over. Um, absolutely. Go ahead. I mean, kudos to you. That would be, like, crazy that's, cool. I would love that. Please, that, if you are one of those people, talk to me because that's it, so cool. It sounds to me like emotional edge play. Yeah, it kind of is, right? Because at what point do you suddenly tumble over and realize that you're not in control? Right. And so edge play, for people listening, is when you engage in some activity that is either really risky or that is really close to the edge of what you consider permissible in your ethical framework. Yeah. So there's usually any any edge that you're playing on, so the edge of ethics or the edge of of possibility, like how implausible or difficult is the task you're doing. Yeah. Also, people will play on the edge of safety yep which can also be edge play um not just in a physical capacity but also in an emotional capacity edge of sanity could potentially be one although that also sounds incredibly dangerous because yeah okay can we just so anyways edge play is really advanced it is but it's valid we're not invalidating anyone who does it um we're just saying don't try this at home without prior experience or training and with a lot of consent and negotiation and a lot of being able to take personal responsibility for what you're doing. Yes. Having the ability to say, this is really dangerous. Someone might get hurt. And if someone gets hurt, how are we going to try and manage that? Yeah. And accepting it may not look like you think it's going to look. And honestly, that's kind of a great approach to take towards jealousy in general. Yeah. Being like, we're going into this relationship. I am feeling jealous. I have no idea what's going to happen or what it's going to look like. Here's what I'm going to do when we get out of it. Yeah. And like, I think, oh, wow. This is opening my brain in so many ways. I'm looking at our relationship in so many different ways. Um, like, for us, between us, um, looking at it in hindsight, it's like, yeah, I had no idea at the time because I didn't know myself. Right. I was like, I had no idea how je- jealousy was going to manifest. And it turned into screaming and hyperventilating and panicking and um, foot stomping and slamming doors and driving away um, and like not talking to each other and like that's how it manifested for me personally and I think one of the things that was so crucial in terms of us staying together yeah through a lot of that Mm -hmm. and Victor working like not just being like I can't deal with this and leaving was that after all was said and done when I had table flipped when I had yelled when I had screamed when I had completely had an emotional meltdown when I had had a panic attack, I would come back from it and I would say, yeah, I did that. Yeah, that was me. Yeah. That happened. You didn't make excuses. I owned my shit emotionally. Yeah. And I think that is part of growing. Um, But in terms of jealousy, I think that's another one of those things where you're wading into it. Yeah. You're not backing away. You're not throwing it up as a wall and not touching it. You are grabbing, you're literally stepping into the depths of jealousy and being like, yes, I felt that. Yes, that is exactly what happened. I take responsibility for slamming that door. Yes, I screamed at you. Yes, I had a panic attack. Yes, I made you cancel your date. 
with your friend with your partner who you really yeah. wanted to see yes i trashed your relationship because i was completely not in control of yourself myself yeah like being able to own those things made jealousy not a force that controlled me but something that i was responsible for and something that i could move forward on i i, I want to share a statement i came across on the interwebs while researching addiction and the statement was and i'll modify it a little for jealousy i ha- i have a problem that feels life-threatening and that problem used to have me yeah and honestly jealousy for me really when i was feeling so vastly insecure i felt like my entire relationship with victor was slipping out of my fingers and that felt life-ending in that moment yeah. it was totally my my brain my body my heart my soul everything was telling me that this was the end of the world yeah and i went into total panic state yeah um and it was completely and utterly controlling me and by taking ownership and just being like you know what yes that was me that was mine it's easy to be too proud like it's easy to say like i can't reconcile what i did with who i hold myself to be yeah and it's critical to at least take responsibility for i did do those actions i did say those things and i'm still figuring it out yeah being able to take ownership means you have the power to change the outcome I think I I, I know I would agree. I think it's the first step in getting the power is you have to take ownership. Yeah. And so I think for me, jealousy is not something that's done unto. It's something that I do. Yeah. Like I am, I am processing jealousy right now. Yeah. It's an active process. I'm, I'm choosing to engage with it. I'm meeting myself in that moment and I'm doing work. Yeah. And having your partner acknowledge that you're doing work can also be really helpful something I didn't really do very well. (laughs) No, it's not. I also didn't advocate for myself. I didn't know how or know that I should advocate for myself. So that's part of it. You didn't always know what you needed, and I certainly had no idea what you needed. Yeah. um, That being said, when I told you that I was doing a shit ton of work, and you were like, I don't see it, and I was like... That that also came from a place of hurt, because I just didn't... I was just so upset about the whole thing, as you were too. And that's valid too, right? Okay, so just for, you know... (laughs) Victor and I have, like, talked about so much of this stuff, and we're like, okay, I see where you are coming from. That's valid. I hear you. Um, because we care about each other, and that's, Very again, much. an opportunity for growth that we have both worked through. And so... Yeah. I love you. I love you, too. Um, but, like, giving... As, as someone who ended up having to, like, take space, not yeah. just be given space... Yeah. Um... In terms of the amount of emotional labor I was doing, I think that kind of comes with me, with my territory of like, dude, own your shit. But it's mm-hmm. like, own your shit to the point where you don't let other people stop you from owning your shit. Yeah. Um, you don't let them apologize for you or make excuses for you. Yeah. But you also don't let them tell you that you're not working on it. You don't yeah. let them tell you that that's not enough because every single step is theoretically so hard. It comes back to not letting someone interfere in your personal emotional process. Yeah, it does. It's a very relationship anarchisty approach to where the idea of being dependent on one other person from mainstream training really interferes with us being healthy. Yeah. Actually, now I'm kind of wondering if we both kind of fell to relationship anarchy because in so many ways we weren't being supported by, by each other. 
um, Interesting. in terms of emotional processing because we it, felt like we could only either rely on ourselves or someone outside sure. to process with. It's the framework we needed. It is the framework that we needed. Mm-hmm. And it's funny, now that Victor and I are no longer domestic partners, we were kind of giggling that now <laughs> when we hang out and we we essentially go on dates, we're like, wow, this is so emotionally fulfilling. Could we have done this while we were living together? And uh, and the answer is we did what we could. We did what, what we, we could had, with what we had. And what we knew at the time. Yeah. And so it's like. But it would have been nice if we could have done that while we were living <laughs> But I think in terms of like relationship anarchy, we couldn't fit that package together in that fashion. Right. Um, and now that we're in a different construction, mm-hmm. now we can. Victor and I will have conversations where we deconstruct some of the grossness from our relationships and we get into very very heavy conversations that are very emotionally weighty and we can still navigate through them we can still talk about them um, because we're in a different framework now and we've also had a lot of personal experience feeling really intense feels that are really squicker that are really heavy so many feels so when we run into those feels again they don't cause panic or fear or I mean, hopefully not for you. They, they don't for me. I don't panic. I'm not worried about how you're going to react at me. Like, that doesn't even cross my mind anymore when we talk about really heavy feels. I think I agree. Um, however, I think it's also safe to say that I constantly feel less panic. Um, right, and I think right. that's, that's one of my methods for coping with anxiety and panic um, and, and acknowledging my wins. Yes, I was going to say that. Um, in, in taking steps to tackle and own my jealousy and yeah. insecurity and hurt was sometimes uh, I would have a panic attack. I'm, I'm remembering this is, this is charming. Uh, memory lane. Um, I would have a panic attack and then Victor would go out on a date Mm-hmm. And then it would be lather, rinse, repeat. And I'd have another panic attack. And Victor would go out on a date. And Victor's like, nothing is changing. And I'm like, you don't understand my internal process. Right. You don't see that. You don't understand that I'm panicking less. I remember this conversation. And so it might not look like it's a huge leap forward, especially it- where jealousy is concerned. But it's not about leaps forward. If... All that jealousy, if if tackling it and moving into it and accepting it and embracing it, if one step forward for you is just being like, huh, I had one less cup of coffee to try and deal with this, that's valid. Maybe, Maybe your panic attack lasted seven minutes instead of eight minutes. Also extremely valid. If someone can't necessarily see the measurable outcomes of you working on yourself and your emotions, actually not just jealousy, but all of them, that's okay. No one needs to externally validate the work that you are doing on yourself. Yes, you are the expert of yourself. Absolutely. And I think that, I mean, it's tangled up in so many different, like, facets for Mm me. Um... But being able to own that to the point where it was like, no one can tell me, no one can give me a gold star for improving myself on jealousy. And I seek external validation a lot. And in the end, with jealousy, because the only person who really knows what you're feeling and what you're going through and how you're improving is yourself, you have to give yourself those gold stars even if someone is actively trying not to, you have to give yourself those gold stars. You have to be like, yes, I see myself. I am growing. I am moving. So important. 
so utterly crucial to constantly moving forward. And it's so easy to adopt that mindset that nothing you do is good enough and to feel hurt in terms of self-esteem or self-worth or just feel hopeless. And it's just, it. yeah, couldn't agree with you more. And it's interesting because, again, this kind of breaks down into the very different experiences that Victor and I have mm-hmm. and how we deal with things very differently. And so how I see jealousy and how Victor sees jealousy are not necessarily the same thing. And mm-hmm. so I, at least in my understanding, and I think I think it would be appropriate for you to speak more on this, um, Victor has experienced jealousy when he hasn't felt good enough. Absolutely. Or when he looks at another partner, at a metamor, and compares himself and feels like not enough. Yeah, or I've also fell into that monogamous trap of why couldn't she do that with me? Yeah. Which is totally irrelevant. Yeah. If I wanted to do the thing with her, then I would say, hey, I'm interested in doing this thing. Like, it has nothing to do with whether or not she's doing that thing with someone else. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's just so interesting how, like, I don't experience those things as much. For me, it's more a fear of, of loss right. of my current relationship. It's not even so much of envy, it sounds like. You know, it's interesting because... When I'm in a space of envy, sometimes exclusion, it can be as as simple as really wanting to go and see a movie with my partner. Yeah. And then my partner has already made plans to go and see that exact movie with someone else. Yeah. And feeling like I can't ask to go along. Yeah. In early days, I didn't feel like I could ask to take along to what would be a date. Now I feel totally good saying, oh, I really wanted to see that movie with you. I'm totally okay if you want to see that with partner A. However... If you're interested and your partner's okay with it, I would love to take along just for the movie and then you two can go on your merry way and continue your date. But I just wanted to have that experience with you. Yeah, depending on the context and the framework of your relationship. And the metamor and the agreements and various other things. Yeah, absolutely. But I set up my relationships to allow requests like that now. And I do my best to advocate for myself, full knowing the answer may be no. It's supposed to be our anniversary or it's supposed to be the special event. And we just wanted to keep it between the two of us. Yeah, and that's that's one of Victor's methods of dealing with jealousy, right? It's totally different. It's very much like a, I'm going to set up my relationships in a framework so I can make the ask to avoid feeling jealous or to tackle jealousy in a very logical way immediately once it occurs. I like taking the action steps. Um, That's Victor's way of dealing with it. Yep. For me, nowadays, if I feel jealous, um, I often will self-isolate. I'll be like, hey, I need to go away and process for a bit. And I will literally shut people out and sit about it, sit down and think about it and try and like hash my brain through what's going on. And then I will come back to that person and be like, hey, so this is what happened. Um, this is what I was feeling. Could we potentially do this next time? Mm-hmm. And so I think Victor is very forward in planning for jealousy, whereas I'm very reactionary in my jealousy. Which is okay, too. Both are valid. It's okay to plan to cope. As yeah, opposed, absolutely. As opposed to planning structurally around something. Yeah. It's like you set yourself up for the opportunity for growth rather than setting yourself up for a smoother running experience potentially. You just prefer more of an organic approach if I had to guess. I I well, yeah, between the two of us. Yeah. <laughs> we have the the analytical organized person with very very convenient bullet notes in front of me and then there's me who I'm a super organic, I feel what I feel, and I express when I express it. 
and you requested to have the sheet to write down notes and then I think you took one bullet the entire talk we did last time I don't think you've taken any this time I don't think so whereas I've written all down the margins and like yeah yeah and so like how we process jealousy is as unique as each yeah. individual one of us and that's true for everyone else listening that is yeah. going to be slightly different yeah every path is completely unique to yourself and that's okay totally I wanted to touch back on insecurity because I had mentioned earlier that people have this conception like insecurity makes a partner less attractive. And I really think that everyone experiences insecurity. It's really just a question of how it's communicated. And that may not matter at all with your partner. And it may matter a lot depending on what your relationship looks like and yeah. the assumptions that you make about people and about insecurity. Okay. I just wanted to touch on the notion that people who are experiencing insecure insecurity are essentially all people so it doesn't make someone less attractive to be experiencing it and I think when someone communicates insecurity in a way that feels healthy for me what I focus on now as a supporting partner is this person's vulnerable this person's forthcoming this person's demonstrating great communication skills and bravery and I focus on that rather than focusing on oh my partner's feeling insecure and that, let, that lets me as a supporting partner celebrate all of the wins instead of looking only at all the negative things that's really interesting. Um, I think that's a great way of, of dealing with it. Um, Again, it's one one side of the jealousy coin absolutely. as opposed to being the person. And like, it, it's so funny coming at it from my perspective. I'm like, that sounds beautiful and idealized. Um, <laughs> well, I didn't say I was successful with it. I said this is what I try and do all the time. True. Um, and I and I think I am. Mostly. I think, however, it also speaks a little bit to privilege. Yep. Um, because. To be able to be like, yeah, your insecurity, you're expressing this, that's so brave. It's like... <laughs> you say that with the least contempt you can manage in your voice. <clears throat> yeah. Um, but to be able to say that to another person, it's like, yeah, good for you. You're coming forward to me with jealousy or insecurity, but it doesn't necessarily acknowledge the volume. Yeah. Um, and I know for me, that's actually been a sticking point in the past. Um, for clarity, I wasn't suggesting people patronize their jealous partners. No, sorry. That's one of my triggers. I uh, know I'm totally going to own this one. That's one of my triggers. And so um, in this particular con context, it's a little bit hard for me to not hear the potentially patronizing sure. uh, side of that. And so I apologize for kind of leaning to that side. That's okay. Um, but... Um, you probably weren't the only one. Probably not. So it's totally fair. Uh, but I think it's also really important that it's kind of just said that there is a great deal of privilege to be yeah. able to be like, I totally accept and I think it's great that you're moving through this. Good for you. Like privilege and like, I'm so happy for you doing all that emotional labor over there that I'm not doing. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and there's privilege in that because I'm mask presenting and you're femme presenting yeah. and you were socialized to do emotional labor and there you are diligently yeah. doing your emotional labor. And you might not even see half of it. Right. Exactly. Well, and part of, part of my coming to a place where I could acknowledge the bravery and I could acknowledge the volume of work was coming from a place of privilege where I was totally ignorant of that and yeah. all I saw was the jealousy. Yeah. I didn't see the bravery. I didn't see the vulnerability. I didn't see the forthcomingness. Yeah. So I think for me, even saying that might be beneficial for some of the you know, boy socialized yeah. individuals. Yeah, actually that's something that I hadn't necessarily thought about again. 
socialization and context. And we're also dealing with all levels of listeners. There are yeah. going to be some beginners and some intermediates for sure, yeah. especially when you tackle jealousy. Um, it's definitely a really great way of actually framing something being on the receiving end of jealousy for sure. Yeah. Um, that it's not about you. It's so, it's so not about you. And it's, it's not about it's, you at all. And like that's so disarming. Yeah. Because when you think it's about you, it can feel like an attack when someone's really like, I'm hurting. I desperately need your love and support. And you're busy being defensive because you feel totally attacked and you're fearful of losing your other relationships and you're fearful of all of these things that mean so much to you. And you're also fearful you're going to lose this person that you love that is just wanting you to express that. Yeah. And the way that you express you love them is that you're fearful and defensive that you're going to lose them. And yeah. that can turn into a tire fire. Yes. Yep. Tire fire. It just doesn't go out. It keeps yeah. burning. Yeah. So, yeah, the it's not about you is important. And the other one was, yeah, that non-monogamy totally benefits monogamy and just you as a human like you're doing any emotional work on processing on self-awareness these are transcendental like they will help you throughout your life in my opinion they'll help at work they'll help with relationships with people like just doing emotional labor on oneself is useful and i'm saying that because a lot of mask presenting people out there may not do very much of it and i think it's extremely valuable i would agree um i'm i'm going to coin a uh, mar uh oh god I think it's DC, actually. No? No, it's Marvel. I take it back. Marvel. Um, <laughs> I can't keep universes straight these days. Um, with great power comes great responsibility. And That's, that's Spider-Man Marvel, right? Yeah. Okay. See? See? It took me a yeah, moment. Yeah. We got it. Um, but what I mean by that is, like, when you start working on yourself and when you start opening up all of those boxes and seeing feels and becoming more self-aware and becoming to learn to communicate your feelings yeah it becomes super powerful you experience this vast amount of almost freedom in expression because suddenly what's inside your head can literally come out of your mouth um but on the flip side of that not everyone can do the same and so mm -hmm. i think what i mean by with great power comes great responsibility is like yeah you have the power to communicate however it is you're feeling inside your head out of your mouth mm -hmm. but not everyone is going to be in the same place that's okay um and you don't necessarily you don't have to do the labor for them mm -hmm. just because you have the tools doesn't mean that you need to teach them it doesn't mean that they need to do it your way it doesn't mean that um, they should do it your way. So it's super powerful. Other people might not see it for that as well. Mm -hmm. um, but other people can also use that emotional labor. And I think, again, this kind of comes back to like so gender socialization, um, where a lot of female-bodied, female-socialized people... Yeah. Um, have been taught some emotional labor skills in some contexts, uh, maybe not specifically pertaining to jealousy, maybe pertaining to other things. Mm -hmm. But then, say, a mask-presenting human um, or a mask-socialized human um, hasn't necessarily been given those same tools, which, again, that's the most common, but that doesn't necessarily mean that the person with more experience should 
help teach the other person should spend the emotional labor to improve the other person and so that can, that can be hard because maybe you love that person maybe you care about them to death and you want to see them grow and you want to see them develop mm -hmm. um, but that doesn't necessarily mean that you should go in and dig your fingers into improving that person for them yeah there definitely has to be some desire it needs to be a internally yeah. motivated change yeah you can't you can't make people do emotional work no. it, it comes back to the highly mainstream and highly gendered um you can't you can't change a man oh yeah because women are socialized to do so much emotional labor that they're doing yeah. emotional labor to help their male-bodied partners improve themselves as if that's possible yeah it's like if you're not willing to do the internal labor you aren't going to internally improve yeah people can engineer your circumstances but they can't engineer you you're the only one that can do that yeah but also at the same time i'm just going to take this kind of a step back a bit sure. and acknowledge both of our privilege yeah we're both mentally well enough yeah to move through a lot of these problems um i know a lot of people with mental health issues that this would be a complete and utter barrier yeah. someone would not be able to move through a panic disorder or a generalized anxiety yep. disorder and that's okay too 100 percent. it doesn't mean you can't have relationships it doesn't mean that your jealousy or your insecurity is like you shouldn't have relationships because you have these things and your mental any kind of issues that prevent you from working through those means you shouldn't have a relationship that is not true it just means that you, from in my opinion that in order to have healthy and successful relationships you need to be open and transparent with where you are yeah um, and you may need to engineer your relationship for you rather than engineering yourself for a growth-minded approach to a style of relationship that yeah. you idealize or hold as your ideal. Yeah, and so it's like if you're an insanely jealous person and that insecurity is something that you absolutely latch on to, latch on to because it, it actually helps support you in a mental context or in a mental health context, or maybe you don't have the spoons to yeah. like work through that, that's okay. And I mean, for some people, they might even take issue with describing it as being insanely jealous. Oh, yeah. Sorry. That's okay. I just thought I'd bring it to No, no, no. It's totally true. Um, it's one of those, like, that's one of those things that you don't really think about. But it's totally valid. Mm -hmm. um, we, we use that language all the time. I've had yeah. that language used against me, and I just used it. And yeah. Even when people say things like, I was crazy angry. Yeah. I was crazy jealous. Like, I mean, I use that. Okay little story um i i use i use crazy jealous because for a long time i felt so out of control of myself that i was like oh god these emotions are bigger than me they're doing things to me i don't understand i literally felt out of control and when i felt out of control i felt quote unquote crazy yeah um and in some ways i feel like that's an adequate description because it helps communicate to others just how powerless i felt um, to say I was crazy jealous. Literally, I was out of my mind. Yep. I couldn't control this. I have no idea what I was doing. People use phrases like, I was beside myself. Yeah, I was to... beside myself. Literally not in control of myself. Like I was watching myself do those actions. Yeah, and I, I have actually been in that place. And... People say, I lost my mind. Yeah. Like they were out of control. They didn't have access to their thinking, rational mind. Yeah, and I've been there. And I'm so lucky and I'm so fortunate that I have had the spoons, I have had the time, I have had the resources to work on that. Yeah. I have had 
the ability to take like meds that help me control panic disorder. I have that ability. I'm so fortunate and I know not everybody is, but that doesn't mean that you can't just because you don't have those resources resources doesn't mean that you can't have healthy, successful, intimate relationships. They just might have to have a slightly different framework and different expectations and at least moving to know yourself well enough to be able to communicate that this isn't something that you can control right now. Yeah. And accepting where you are right now. Yeah. Taking ownership of what you can. Again, bringing it right back to personal responsibility, even though some things are not your control. Sometimes your brain chemistry, not your control. Sometimes your source of finances, not your control. control. Sometimes your access to resources like counseling or meds, not not your control. control. That's okay. I'm not saying personal responsibility means having control of everything. I'm saying that personal responsibility is acknowledging where you are and owning that. Yeah. And I think part of my approach of thinking ahead to what trips me up, where do I run into anxiety that I personally experience? Where do I run into places where I don't feel safe or where I'm more likely to experience jealousy? I tend to structurally plan around it. And I, I think if you're in a position where you really aren't sure how to make it healthy, it might be valuable to have those conversations with people to approach it from more of a, of course, relationship anarchist perspective, because it gives yeah. you the opportunity to construct a custom relationship that is both something that works for you and totally consensual and negotiated from your partner's perspective. I would agree. And I think that's just, that's where we both came to. Yeah probably partly because we're just we just deal with it so damn differently and it just works for us it it just did may not work for you i it was one of the ways that actually i think victor and i managed we rearranged our expectations of our relationship in order to stay together oh that's such a good that's so concisely framed we Um, rearranged our expectations of the relationship and and it did keep us together and it did keep us together um Victor, originally from the beginning, started out being like, I am not monogamous. I am not monogamous. I am polyamorous. I will always be polyamorous. Or at the very least, non-monogamous, even though I didn't have the language for it. Yeah, at the very least, non-monogamous. And I started out being like, yeah, okay, I agree with that. Um, yeah, it's fine. It's You'd fine. It's over. cool. And then, and then what ended up happening was like, I was not okay. So we were functionally monogamous right. for a while, while Victor thought that would... Well, both Victor and I thought that that would help me work through things. That totally did not happen, by the way. Um, And then it got to the point where... I was just so angry about it. That there was no cheating. It was completely transparent, but it was a boundary-setting thing. Victor was like, I need this. I can't not... Yeah, I'm refusing to be exclusive in these ways. And I'm just letting you know before anything happens that, like... I have to set some boundaries for my mental health and for what I need in my life and getting my needs met is important to my mental health. And yeah, I basically, I hate to say put my foot down because that's a gross expression, but I basically was like, and, and maybe this is a good time to talk about what a boundary is, that a boundary is something you apply to yourself, not to others. Yeah, you can probably speak more to that because I frame differently. Okay. I'm, I'm super interested to hear how you frame it. Get, um, ooh, I almost said something I was not supposed to say, um, but... I have had it framed I have had it framed before that boundaries are what limits we set on our personal involvement or our personal 
participation in things, whereas agreements are things we come to together and that if we believe in consent in our agreements, we have to be able to withdraw consent from those agreements at, at any time with reasonable notice. Right. So ideally telling someone first, but yeah. again, reasonable notice. There's also expectation setting. And that's the philosophy that I live by. Not that they're separate. They absolutely 100% go together. But you're touching on something very valuable, which is the distinction between a rules-based relationship and a principles-based relationship. Yeah. And before we conflate things with that, even though that is a better... I, I, I like where you're taking this. I just want to reconfirm that we're sort of making a distinction between boundaries apply to me, expectations are what we set with each other, and those inform our agreements where we where we where our minds meet, where we come together and agree to things. Now whether we choose to agree to specific rules, you are allowed to do A but not B, or whether we agree to specific principles is something totally different. I'm very much a principle minded human. Yes. And I'm curious to hear your thoughts on principle-minded relationships or principle-focused relationships. Well, see, it's kind of interesting because... Um, also, can I just say thank you for that very succinct and technical description. That's one of your fortes, and I very much admire you for it. Um, so it's interesting talking about in, in that particular framework because I am very much a principle-based principle, principle -based person. Um, I do not like setting rules... Um, that doesn't work for everybody. That doesn't work for everybody. It's cool if rules work for others. Um, for me, it feels stifling. Um, but also, my brain is... I'm, I'm very much like a web thinker, and so having a rule, I'm like, how many different ways can I get around this rule? How many different ways would my partner get around this rule? It uh, just... Yeah, it, it's some, something about rules invites rules lawyering, which is a potential pitfall of rules. Yeah, I would agree. And so that's one of the reasons why it doesn't really work for me. Mm -hmm. um, and so if you take that kind of context in which you were talking, where expectations can be boundary set or rule set, yep. I would 100% agree that I'm a principle-based expectation setter and that boundaries are things we set on ourselves. That being said, I generally, for the most part, try and avoid the use of boundaries. Um, and the reason for that is not because I don't have them. I absolutely 100% have boundaries. They're not often communicated because I never want to get to the point where I'm almost at a boundary. Totally. You don't and want so people to go right up to a boundary. Never. Right. And so for me, I... It's not that I don't have them, and it's not that I don't talk about them, right. but it is that is the last step yeah. for me. So rather than being a boundary-setting human, right, I'm like an expectation-setting human. Yes. And so when I'm having a conversation with someone and we're talking about relationships and we're talking about like emotional boundaries, I'm not actually talking about emotional boundaries. I'm setting expectations with my partner right. because for me, it's more important, and in my experience, mm -hmm. it's and this actually I'm realizing now it's probably gendered um, rather than saying this is as far as I will go yep because I find people will take all of that yep I will say this is what I'm offering right and they can either say yes or no like here's what we're discussing for right now yes I'm not interested in talking about where my mental health is threatened by an activity exactly I, I'm like I don't even want to get near there I just want to be setting and, and I mean, I suppose you could see that as me setting a boundary just before my boundaries. Which I think, honestly, we're using very similar language. Like, 
when you talk about setting expectations instead of absolute boundaries, yeah. a lot of people talk about boundaries as those expectations, yeah. as the bounds of play or interaction rather than the bounds of mental health. Yeah. And so... I, I can totally see the use of that, but I find that ambiguous. Mm-hmm. And also, it kind of creates, in my feeling, setting a boundary like that feels very finite. It feels very like, I'm going to cross my arms, and this is like an impassable point. It's very rules. And so, a boundary, to me, feels a little squicky and gross. Mm-hmm. And so, I'm like, I don't even want to come up near boundaries because... They, they feel very firm and very rigid. And again, I'm rulesy. not that person. They feel rulesy, even though they're not rulesy, because they're based on ourselves. They are kind of rules. Um, but they're rules for ourselves. But I don't even want to get anywhere near those. Mm-hmm. Um, I very much like the, the, the conversation, the vulnerability, the constant communication, the transparency. And I want to have that all the time in my relationships. And so... I try and avoid talking about boundaries because they just don't feel good to me. That's totally fair. And we're all going to have our preferences on language. Absolutely. And framing and the tools we choose to use to essentially do the same thing, which is safely interact and relate to each other. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And keep ourselves safe. So how do you feel for or figure out what those expectations look like? Are there any strategies that you have? Trial and error? (laughs) No, I'm kidding. Like, (laughs) I'm actually not kidding because that's legitimately what I did, but that doesn't mean that it's the right way to do it. Um, Not that there is any right or wrong way, but just know that trial by fire, I mean, trial and error, right? also known as trial by fire, um, can lead to a lot of pain. Mm it's interesting. I've heard it described that uh, some people learn best from positive experiences and other people learn best from negative experiences. Mm-hmm. And it's a lot less common for people to learn from negative experiences because it's a negative experience. Um, most people just want to block it out. And I, I don't know how or why the universe decided to make it such. Um, but I am definitely a person who learns from negative experiences. Um, I, I don't know if that's common. I don't know. I feel like it's not as common, or it's certainly not as commonly talked about in popular media. Um, and so for me, oh gosh, uh, for me, trial and error actually worked because every time I fucked up, I was like, oh, that hurt. Let's, let's try again. Oh, that hurt. Okay, let's not do that. Let's try again. Um, it is one strategy. It's totally a strategy. It's kind of bull in a china shop. Uh, how many times I'm going to break something until suddenly it's not broken anymore. Um, and if you accept that level of risk, yeah, or it's the only strategy you have, then yeah. it's okay because you're accepting where you are. Yeah, legit. And so it's like, that works for me. Um, it, it, it doesn't work for everybody, obviously. Um, but again, I feel like that's one of those things that you kind of need to talk about. You kind of need to be like, hey, I will bash my head against this problem until it's fixed. Please don't make the thing I'm bashing my head against any sharper. Right. Yeah, because sometimes, like... I'm working my way through this wall. Please don't reinforce the wall. Yeah, exactly. And it's totally happened that way, especially even between us, where it's like, I've I've told Victor, I'm like, hey, I'm working through this problem. And he's like, let me, quote unquote, help you. And I'm like, no, no, (laughs) stop, stop. You're not helping. You're not helping. Let me bash through. And Victor's like, but I'm supporting you. And I'm like, no, you're just putting blocks in front. Stop. Yes, I don't want to feel like you're taking the wall down. That's not why I'm putting my head through it. Yeah. Yeah. I need to take this wall down for myself. Myself, yeah. Stop helping. Exactly. You're not helping. Yeah, exactly. Um, and so, like, strategies for figuring out, like, where your boundaries are. Um, oh, 
god also coming back to um like another fucking opportunity for growth and post-traumatic growth mm-hmm. um i have been in a lot of situations that have really sucked that have really really hurt that have damaged myself emotionally have damaged partners emotionally and I try my absolute best not to wallow in them. I try not to see myself as someone who has been hurt. Um, Not that I'm not acknowledging that the hurt is there, but more like, ow, that hurt. I'm in pain. I'm holding space for my pain. How can I move forward from this? And the how can I move forward from this is fundamentally the post-traumatic growth. And so for me, when I was figuring out my boundaries, when I was figuring out, like, just how far is too far, how much is too much energy spent, how much is spending too much time out of the house, how much is um, seeing too much of my partner's relationship and having that affect me negatively, in finding those things out... I've actually, in my personal experience, just trundled trundled right into them. I have pushed too far. I have pushed past a boundary on multiple occasions and gone like, ow, oh, that really hurt. That was too far. I shouldn't go that far again. And that's how I personally have found boundaries. That is obviously one method of finding a boundary. It hurts. Mm -hmm. I grow from it. Not everyone does. I know that another approach that a lot of people take is doing it step by step. Is being like, okay, we're going to start this out really easily. I'm going to go out on a date with a person. Like, say say I'm talking to Victor, and if Victor were my partner, I'd say, okay, Victor. And we would negotiate this, obviously. This would be part of the negotiation. But it would be like, hey, I need to figure out where my boundaries lie in you having relationships with someone else. I need to try and understand where my jealousy kicks in, so to speak. So can we trial this delicately and gently? Can you go out on a date with someone and not kiss them at the end? And if your partner's willing to do that, maybe you can find those smaller steps. Stepping towards, oh my god, I'm uncomfortable. And I would have to find a partner and negotiate with them. Like, hey, this is not going to be a partnership that is exclusively the two of us together. Yeah. It's going to be influenced by a third party. Yeah. Are you okay with that? Yeah, absolutely. I would, I would literally be asking for a secondary in a sense because there would be a there would potentially be a hierarchy of control in that you would be making requests on our activities. Yeah, and I mean that's it's actually kind of funny because in some of the language that we're using, I know that it sounds like, duh, obviously, that's how most people would approach non-monogamy because that's where most people start non-monogamy. Right. However, th- that is a valid way of doing it. Sure. It's totally valid. If you so want to have... So long as you're consent-focused and you assuredly tell the partner that you're working with that someone else has control over that relationship. I would agree with that. Um, Informed consent. However, that doesn't always happen. Yeah. Because I feel like that's not the norm when people first start opening from non-monogamy or from from monogamy to non-monogamy. And it's okay to make those mistakes. Yeah. It's going to hurt. And just be careful with yourselves as secondaries out there. If you're in a relationship where you're being described as a secondary, just take care of yourself. Yeah. And I mean, I think fundamentally we all have to take care of ourselves. We're all 
responsible for taking care mm -hmm. of yourselves, but don't put up with that bullshit if you don't have to. Uh, well, if you don't want to. If you don't want to. Because I've been invited into a relationship where my participation was almost exclusively sexual. Yeah. And it was an extremely healthy poly experience, and it was really enriching. I grew a lot from it, and I had no intention of being in a relationship with either of them, yeah. other than the sexual one and the friendship ones. Yeah. But that really suited me because I was probably partially because I had the privilege of being mask yeah and like masculine and also because I, I knew what I wanted and I didn't want a relationship with either of them yeah but you also had the privilege to be like honestly if you were a, society wouldn't judge me for it yeah there's also that I didn't have the internalized judgment for it yes and also um because you were a person who was socialized to do less emotional labor you didn't feel like you had to do emotional labor for that relationship yep which, as a female socialized person, I have felt that way. Sometimes you feel like you need to facilitate. Yeah, so if a there's, lot. So if there's problems in that relationship, you feel like, I'm the interloper. I need to do all this work for them. Or I need to... I need to give them... I need to give her space to make that relationship work. Yeah. Yikes, that's so gendered. It's so gendered and... And, and yet it's the world we live in. So, like, really no matter is. how much we don't want to, quote unquote, see gender, it yeah. doesn't change the fact that it's there and yeah. we're all steeped and soaking in it. Yeah. It's the same thing people say about racism, not to get on that topic, but, like, the whole I don't see color is kind of crap because it's like, yeah, but it exists. Yeah, people, exactly. People are racialized. Yeah. Anyways, rant over. Yeah, and so... Yeah. Ooh. Ooh. That, that can go... That could that could be a, lots of podcasts and we'll... Yeah. But we were talking about healthy setting of expectations and boundaries and I wanted to touch on sometimes just writing out your relationship values can be helpful for figuring out what expectations to set what do you mean by relationship values so for me I write down like principles or things that are very important for me in relationships so things like consent I, I literally I've written out my relationship values which I suppose I can link to this um, and the first one one sec I'm just writing this down is consent and consent moves into a I think it starts with I think it starts with respect and re Legit. respect moves into consent which moves into autonomy okay because if you can't if you aren't autonomous you don't have the ability to withdraw consent so I'm essentially opting for not owning each other's exclusivity and not owning each other's participation in time spent together interesting it sounds like me doesn't it yes like very very much like me that's because they're my relationship values that Absolutely. doesn't mean every relationship i'm in is going to follow them but it's really good to be clear about what i want out of relationships yeah. what feeds me and what's healthy for me yeah and then once i have that piece of what i need it can turn into okay now how does a person like that relate to other people with their own unique needs and their own relationship values mm -hmm. it becomes like what do we build together now that we know what each of us wants but it starts with that piece of what do i even want why am i even having relationships why am i and once you know that piece it's so much easier to set expectations because you have some map for what you're trying to do yeah and it's interesting because that sounds like so neat and clean and tidy and like point a leads to point b which leads to point c um which is great i love that there are some people who can do that like i'm a little bit envious because really? i am an organic wiffly waffly i don't know all over the place human um and so i'm like i don't know feel stuff and shit yeah. <laughs> um, and so for me, when I'm thinking about why do I want a relationship, I'm like, okay, wait, I don't want a relationship. Right. And so it's almost never I want a relationship. It's I meet a person and right. I'm like, oh, hi, person. How do we connect with one another? Right. Like and what so that feels like. What does that feel like? What do I, what do I, how, in what ways do I respond to this human? 
Um, sometimes it's sexual. Sometimes it's not. Sometimes it's um, romantic. Sometimes it's not. And so totally. instead of like coming up to a person and being like, hi, this is kind of where I'm at. I walk up to a person and I'm like, hi, how do we click? Right. And it's just a totally different how did we ever date? Um, it's just a totally different way of, of interacting. And so for me, when I'm learning how I want to have a relationship with a person, it's usually a, let's try some of this. Let's try some of that. That really didn't work. It's very like, let's try and respond, try and respond rather than, and again, it's like, I will often do trial and error because that's, that's just works for me. That's my style. So very interesting how our relationship expectations are set so differently. Well, I mean, and I don't set them by writing up my relationship values. I would just like write up my relationship values, which I've already done just to figure out like, what is it I get from relationships? Why do I relate to humans? Yeah. And then the next step is like writing out my ideal description of non-monogamy. Yeah. How does community work? How, yeah. do, how does metamorphships work? What is my like ideal of how it all works? Yeah. And then once I know what I'm looking to even pursue, I can start talking to people. And when someone brings up like, Oh, I I want to don't don't ask don't tell. I'm like we are not gonna work together. Like yeah. I know that off the bat, and it's sort of like, it is it is lovely that you are so clear on what you want because you just save both of us so much time and energy. And I yeah. respect you and appreciate you, and like that is totally valid. You do you. You practice the way you want to practice, and that's not something that's gonna work for me. Yeah. So I can set really healthy expectations that just like catches a lot of these traps where you end up in incompatible constellations or configurations of people. Legit. Then again, in a lot of ways, we were very incompatible. That's true. And, and we grew so much from it. And we learned and we maintained a relationship for over three and a half years. That's true. Even though we were incompatible. And yep. so I kind of poke a, fl- poke a hole into your relationship, into your concept. Incompatibility there. can be really... But th- I think the reason that we can make our relationship work the way we do, the way we relate to each Is other... Is because we're principles-based. And because we're relationship anarchists. I would agree. It's like we can take the things that aren't compatible and say, we're not going to do those together. We're going to do all the things that work well yeah. together. We're going to go to Steveston and eat fish and chips in the sun and just like laugh at seagulls. Yes. Yeah. And pet really adorable puppies. Um, but that's what works for us, right? Um, yes. In the context of monogamy, it's a little bit harder. Yeah. Because... Again, there are all of those societal expectations, and it's like there's something wrong with you if you're not having sex with your monogamous partner. Yeah. Or there's something wrong with your relationship, or there's yeah. something wrong with your partner. Yeah. There's shame. Yeah. But that is a whole other podcast. Yes, a whole other podcast. We're getting close to an hour and a half, and I'm oh, mindful geez. of time. Okay. We've tackled almost everything on this list. There are a couple of requests that I have if you're interested in answering some. Sure. Okay. Um, One of them is, what kinds of support do you think are reasonable or unreasonable to ask for from a partner? And, I mean, my immediate answer to my own question would be anything you can ask for is reasonable. It's really a question of what they have resources to give and their answer. But I'm curious what your perspective is on, like, quote-unquote, reasonable requests and unreasonable ones. Where do you think personal accountability should fall in asking for support? Oh, that's tough. Um... This is a really difficult question for me to answer because I'm not just like a personal responsibility advocate. I'm like an enthusiast. I would say so. Um, so. And I will do everything I can. I will push myself to 150 percent before I will ask for help. I will give everyone so much help, but often I do not ask for help myself. And I would say that it is one of my greatest flaws. Um, But... 
one thing that I also learned is that if you don't ask, you'll never know. Yeah. And so when you say something reasonable, honestly, anytime I ask for anything, it's probably extremely reasonable because I'm asking for it at all. Um, <laughs> sure. But that's just me. Um, I think one of the most important things to remember in terms of asking is that an ask is not the same thing as a demand. And this comes back to nonviolent communication. Um, but when I ask for anything, I could say, hey, Victor, I would like, or would you be willing to go to the moon and get me cheese? When the technology is available. I have to acknowledge when I'm asking that Victor might say no. I have to set that expectation with myself and be okay with that outcome before I make that ask. Right. Whereas me saying, Victor, can you go to the moon and get cheese? And being really upset when he says no. Right. That's kind of me. It would be the equivalent of saying me saying, Victor, go to the moon and get me cheese. Right. It's the equivalent of a demand. It's not an ask anymore. It's not an ask at that point. There's a penalty associated with an answer. Absolutely. And so I think anything goes, and I mean, that's just partly the human that I am. You sure. can ask for absolutely anything you want, so long as you're actually asking. Right. I love that answer. And so for me, it's like, even if you want to say, hi, would you be willing to let me cut off your arm? If you're okay with the person saying no... Or if you're okay with the person saying yes, all of the repercussions of that response, right. you have to be okay with before you make that ask. Yeah. Does Great. that answer that your question? question. <laughs> because I was like, that's not really an answer. It's kind of like right. a pseudo answer. I also wanted to say Marshall Rosenberg says facts. Feelings are facts. Interesting. It's like just because your feelings aren't necessarily grounded in something super tangible doesn't mean they're not factual. You're feeling what you're feeling. Yeah, your your feelings are your reality, which totally. makes them facts in your world. When you're feeling jealous, and I break it down personally, if you're mm -hmm. feeling insecure, yeah. that is your reality. That is your world that makes it factual. No one can take that away from you. Yeah, it just, it is, yeah. It just is what it is because that's what it is to you. And I would say they're facts even transcending that in that, if someone is having a feeling, that is a fact that they are having that feeling. And you have to trust people to be experts of themselves. Yeah. You can't turn to someone and be like, you're angry. Right. You have to let them tell you that they're angry. Yeah. Great. Well, that's everything I wanted to talk about. Did you have any other, other than the hours of content I'm sure you have, did you have any other suggestions you wanted to tack on to this session? I don't think so. Okay. Well, in which case... Thank you so much for all of your awesome information and for doing this with me. You're welcome. Thank you for having me. Thanks for listening, Intimates. I hope you got something out of it. The background music is Molten Snow by Jesse Spillane. Special thanks again to my Patreon supporters who make all of this possible. Thanks for your time, and talk to you soon. Appendix. Remember those learning resources I promised you? Here they are. The Happiness Advantage by Sean Acor is a great first or second book on changing your internal monologue. All those thoughts you think or phrases you quote, say to yourself, hold power over your reality. This book helped me change just a couple of the many things that I was thinking that were self-abusive. 
I would encourage you to keep an open mind, especially if you're a self-identified pessimist, and simply ignore the things you dislike to hopefully grasp one or two things you can reasonably go and apply. It can be as simple as just substituting the word could for the word should. The Definitive Book of Body Language, How to Read Others' Attitudes by Their Gestures, is a book by Alan and Barbara Pease. It's older, and despite having its issues, is a great overview for capital W Western societies and their attitudes towards body language and gestures. It covers facial expressions and various other nonverbal communication methods, often things we do without even thinking about them. It's a great first book for trying to figure out what socialization you might have missed during your childhood. Hold Me Tight, Seven Conversations for a Lifetime of Love by Dr. Sue Johnson is a monogamy-centric, het-normative discussion of love, and despite all of that, I still found value in it. It's probably a better resource for monogamous, swinger, lifestyle, or hierarchically poly relationships. I don't usually recommend it for non-monogamous folks, though, as it is actively dismissive of non-monogamy. Five Love Languages by Gary Chapman is the seminal idea that we express and receive affection in different ways. Each of us have preferences for those specific ways, but unfortunately this idea is buried in an offensive and absolutist misogynistic Christian book written by a pastor. I have no problem with Christianity, however this book specifically rubbed me the wrong way. I don't usually recommend this book, but if you really want to understand the context, of ideas the way that I do, you might consider taking a quick thumb through this one to see if there's anything you missed in and around the idea that there are five general categories of expressing and receiving affection. The Ethical Slut, A Practical Guide to Polyamory, Open Relationships, and Other Freedoms in Sex and Love by Janet W. Hardy and Dossie Easton is a great introductory book to open relationships and polyamory. It introduces a lot of core concepts, including sex positivity and compersion, yet it doesn't uncouple the gender binary or take a relationship anarchist approach dismantling what I view to be unhelpful relationship structures, but this is precisely why it's such a great first book. Opening Up, A Guide to Creating Sustainable, Open Relationships by Tristan Tarmino is exactly that. It's the product of interviewing over a hundred individuals, primarily monogamous or hierarchically polyamorous with a primary partner. Often the term open relationship is such a gross oversimplification or even misunderstanding of what is meant by the word relationship itself for relationship anarchists or non-hierarchically polyamorous folks that those individuals avoid describing themselves as such even though relationships are usually open unless expressly discussed otherwise for those individuals. This book does include a great discussion of jealousy as an umbrella term for other emotions, making them easier to troubleshoot, manage, and reframe for a healthier open relationship. These include feelings like exclusion, insecurity, possessiveness, and envy. I think it's worth a read if you're monogamous, open, or hierarchically polyamorous, or if you're struggling with jealousy. Disclaimer. I apologize in advance if something I say discriminates against some folks. I'm open to being called in. Chances are in six months I'm going to look back aghast and see something horribly problematic I'm not proud of. I'm certainly not perfect, and I'm trying to be mindful of the voices I lift up and the perspectives I encourage. Along that line, I'd like to acknowledge that this podcast is recorded on the unceded traditional Coast Salish territories, specifically that of the Musqueam, Kwantlen, Tsawasan, and Tsleil-Waututh nations.